0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Recently, I uh, got an email from somebody named Bob saying thank you to me. Uh, It was a surprise to me because, first of all, he was thanking me for a letter, and I couldn't remember which letter I had written Secondly, I couldn't remember this Bob. His name was completely unfamiliar to me. Uh, And then I I realized oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I do think I know who this is. Uh, You see, a couple years ago, I began to notice a familiar figure showing up at the same time that I'd be out riding my bike on the Burke Gilman Trail. Uh, There was this man, and I noticed him because he seemed sort of friendly to me as I would ride by. I'd say on your left, he'd wave like this, or uh, if we were coming the same direction, uh, I could see his face. He would smile and nod at me when I nodded at him, and uh, he uh, had a a light on his chest to keep from getting run over by cyclists like me in the dark, and oftentimes as I passed him, I could hear a little bit of classical music. He uh, he must have had a radio but no headphones, you know, so there was this aura of uh, just sort of peace about him and uh, we're having this conversation with each other about saying thank you and I just got to think as I'm riding my bike you know I'm I'm thankful for this guy he just makes me feel better in the the morning to pass by him his smile and music etc and um, so I thought how do you say thank you to somebody that you don't even know and I got this crazy idea that uh, maybe I could write him a thank you note I write him a letter. So I pulled out my crane stationery that my mom made me buy, and uh, and I use it once a year. And I wrote this thank you note to a person I'd never met before and put it in my pocket and carried it around for a week or so before I finally got the courage and the opportunity to put it in. Uh, this man's hands. And there he was uh, coming towards me uh, one morning, and I thought, oh, I'm not going to do it today. I'm not going to do it today. This man, he looked kind of like a, a, a sea captain in a sweatsuit. You know? He's this big bearded guy, and I thought, I don't really think he wants to talk to me. Uh, but I stopped, and I said, excuse me, can I interrupt you for a second? I just like how friendly you are on the trail, and I've written you a thank you note, and I put it in his hands as quickly as possible. It was very awkward. And uh, <laughs> he said, my name is Bob. I said, my name is George. I got on my bike and rode off as quickly as I possibly could <laughs> and then I'm getting this email uh, from Bob and I want to read it to you uh, because it really meant a lot to me so he says hi George thank you for your kind sensitive letter my wife and I read it over breakfast and we're really touched by it we've long felt that a friendly greeting and a warm smile can make the world a little better anything we can do to make people feel special is certainly worth the small effort it takes to do so As someone once said, we are all in this together. Happy trails. Thanks again, Bob. Pretty cool, don't you think? Now as we pass each other, I say, hey, Bob. He says, hey, George. And I've got a little bit of a friendship going. Well, last Sunday, uh, I was here and two of you came up to me and you said, you know, um, we had something strange happen. Uh, one of our neighbors came up to us and he said, you know, the other day I was out walking and this weird guy handed me a thank you letter and his, his email address is H at upc.org and they said, oh, that's George Hinman, he's our pastor. And, uh, turned out this couple, you've been reaching out to Bob for years, trying to befriend him, to care for him, and to serve him. You've had, wanted to have a ministry in his life. And I thought, wow, isn't this amazing? I feel like I just got dropped into something God was doing in relation, in this relationship between Bob and these two friends. Well, saying thank you seems like a small thing, but it really ends up being big, like that. It can end up being a ministry. Over the last few weeks, we've seen that thank you is a pleasure. When we encounter Jesus, like those lepers, we just want to run back and say thank you to him. We see that it's a practice in all of our circumstances. We can always find gratitude in a way this gratitude will lift us above our circumstances. It's also a way of promoting justice in the world when we realize we have enough. We thank God for what we have. We're able to give what we don't need to people who are themselves in need. But today we see that saying thank you is actually a ministry. And do you know that ministry just means service? It's a a way of serving somebody. Uh, So you have a ministry in saying thank you. So I want to ask you to pull out your Bible again. And let's read that passage or part of that passage that Lori read for us earlier. It's so beautiful. It's really a thank you note from one minister to a community of ministers. At least that's what Paul would want to encourage them to think of themselves as servants in the world. So please turn to Philippians chapter 1. And it's on page 953 of the Pew Bible. And I'd like to invite you to stand, if you're able, just read just verses 3 through 6. Philippians 1, verses 3 through 6, where Paul says, thank you. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading his holy word. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. Now, some people see this as a thankless thanks. And there's a puzzle here. Uh, For a while, many scholars thought that Paul doesn't really say thank you in this letter, which is odd, because here's the background. Paul is writing this letter from prison, either in Rome or Ephesus. We don't know, but things aren't going well for him. And the Philippians have come alongside Paul with some tangible help. They have sent one of their leaders, Epaphroditus, to come and care for Paul. You didn't get a lot of care in Roman prisons at that time, actually. So you needed outsiders to come and serve you, to minister to you. And in comes Epaphroditus. Also, they have collected financial resources like we just did. They do that every Sunday in the Church of Philippi. And they have been sending this to Paul, who serves sort of like a missionary on their behalf as he presses west with the gospel. So Epaphroditus comes, gives Paul the gift. Paul writes the letter, sends it back to the Philippians with Epaphroditus. It's a thank you note. That's the occasion for the epistle to the Philippians, just to say thank you. And yet here's the puzzle. He never actually says thank you. I mean, scholars have combed through the letter, and he refers to his gratitude on several occasions, like the passage you just read in chapter 2, chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. There's a lot there about his gratitude, but he never actually says, thank you, I thank you. Why is that? I think the reason is that Paul has said something better than thank you. He said, I thank God for you. And I want you to think about the difference there, because I think that's even more. I thank God for you, you just read it there in verse three. I thank my God every time I remember you. He says. Now there's a professor at University of Durham, Durham University in the UK named David Brionis, who has argued, I think, convincingly that the cultural backdrop to the letter of the Philippians is the ancient brokerage custom. Ancient Roman Hellenistic brokerage customs uh, were a transaction between three parties, not two parties. If you just picture a triangle, at the top uh, uh, you'd have a patron, a wealthy person who wanted to give a gift of power or land or money. The patron uh, would choose to give, but the patron, he or she, is not going to give directly to the client. He's going to choose to use a broker, so he gives his wealth to a broker who then... It affects the transaction, giving the patron's wealth to the client. So you've got this three-way arrangement. And so uh, this scholar has argued that Paul is writing this thank you letter in the same way that one would thank the patron in the ancient brokerage system. The broker is given indirectly. The patron is the source given through a broker who's a mediator to the client who's the recipient. So we've got this triangle here. And the, the gratitude, as it's expressed, is to work backwards. The client who's received the gift is saying thank you to the broker, but really saying thank you to the generosity of the patron in the broker. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what Paul seems to be doing here, isn't he? He's saying, I thank God for you. He's saying thank you to the Philippians, but he's thanking the patron, God, as he has been generous and is being generous in the Philippians to Paul. I thank my God every time I remember you. Miroslav Wolf, the Yale theologian, writes, Paul doesn't thank them directly because he believes that he hasn't received gifts from them, but through them. The giver is God, and they are the channels. To me, this is very interesting. And uh, so I want to draw three implications uh, from uh, this way of saying thank you from the text. Uh, and the first one is this, uh, the two are three. Two are three. It's a little bit of a clever way of saying this. But the implication is that God is involved in your relationships. Two people are really three persons. This is the perspective uh, on this gift from God, from the patron's perspective. He sees it's not just about you and that other person. I'm in the relationship. This is what the patron says. Would you remember me? So Paul says, I thank God. Verse 3. And he says, we share in God's grace. By the way, that's the word share in our mission statement, to share hope in Jesus Christ. That's why we say we're alive together because we share grace. We share God's grace with one another. We're alive together. And he says, you and I, we share God's grace together. He's in the relationship. This is really a triangle. Think about your relationships in this way. Now, you say, oh, well, it's just because... They both believe in grace, Paul and the Philippians, so they've got a common doctrinal bond between the two of them. And I think it's more than that. Uh, I think that we share God's grace in the context of all of our relationships, actually. You might say, well, don't they have to both be believers? Well, listen to this. Remember when Paul is persecuting Christians, and one day the resurrected Jesus shows up to Paul and says, Paul, why are you persecuting them? No, if you know the passage, he says, why are you persecuting me? In other words, the Lord is saying to Paul, I'm in the relationship between you and these believers. And in between the relationship between these believers and you, an unbeliever, Paul. God sees himself as the patron in all of our relationships, giving every good and perfect gift to you and through that person and for you. I thank God for you. So let's think about this implication that two are really three. Think about your relationships as sacred triangles. It's not just about you and me. Everywhere there's a you and me, there's also you, me, and God. This might mean for the believing business person that she thinks God is between her and her client, and that she's in that relationship to give something of God's grace to that client. This means that a believing parent understands that on the sideline, the coach, the other coaches, are in relationship with them, but God is present in that same relationship. This means that when you're a parent, a patient at the hospital and you're lying in that bed and there's a noise from the other side of the curtain, that it's not just a curtain between the two of you, but the, the presence, the sacred presence of God is there in that relationship. And I can't think of anything more distinctive about Christian marriage than this idea that my spouse is not just somebody that I chose, but somebody that God gave me, and that I've been given to my spouse. This has helped me so much to realize that my spouse's strengths and weaknesses have been given to me, knowing that this is just what I need in order to become the person that I'm created to be, and that when we get stuck, we're not alone. There's a gracious God in the relationship who can do more than we can ask or imagine. A sacred triangle. I thank my God. He's in the relationship. Now, this is true with Bob, although I'm not sure I realized it at the at, at the beginning, um, but I really was grateful to God for uh, a little bit of joy, a little bit of peace that I got as I rode by him in the morning. God was using Bob to lift my spirits each day, and when I saw that there was something more going on in Bob's life and relationships, I felt like my little thank you note was being synchronized with a bigger orchestra, with a bigger story of which God was the conductor. Two or three. Here's a second implication. Small is big. Now let's think about this triangle from the perspective of the broker, that is, the conduit of this gift. To say that small is big, what I'm saying is this. The implication is that your thank you helps me embrace my God-given value. When you say thank you to me, I wake up just a little bit more to my God-given value value. Your thank you might be small, but that takeaway is huge. Paul says, I thank God every time I remember you. Not every time I remember him. Not every time I remember that other person. Every time I think of you, Paul says, I just thank God. I'm so grateful for you. Imagine how the Philippians might have felt. They began well. They were the first church in Europe. Paul founded uh, this church. Uh, this is a very auspicious beginning. Uh, they thought they were destined, perhaps, for great things. And yet, now, at this point in their history, Paul, their founder, is in prison. We find out later that Epaphroditus, their messenger, has fallen gravely ill to the point of death. We'll find out later in the letter that they're surrounded by opponents on the outside and that they're... Uh, fraught with divisions on the inside no in fact things are not going well at all and it's hard to imagine a happy ending to this story i think you could say that in a way the philippians have the curse of potential has anyone ever said that to you you have potential right is that a good thing or not I mean, when you're a teenager, that's a good thing. That's what you want to hear, right? And you go, I'm going to just kill this life. Uh, I've got so much potential. But then by the time, you know, um, young adult, late young adult years, and you're still living in your parents' basement, and they say, you've got so much potential, you don't hear it quite that same way, right? You hear it uh, a little bit like maybe you've got a little bit of uh, uh, untapped potential. Like there's just, you know, we just want to kind of get you going a little bit here. By the time you're my age, you get to middle life, beyond, and you hear you, you have so much potential. What do you hear? You feel you wasted your life, didn't you? You have like, like lost potential. You got nothing going on. You had so much cause to believe you would, and I think the Philippians are probably that way. They stay at a good beginning. They started wow. Well. They had so much potential, and now they're going up. Oh, just we just have lost it. We just really lost it, and the Paul, Paul, and then so imagine what it's like to get a letter from your founding pastor, who's an apostle. Paul says, "I thank God for you every time I think of you. That you have been a channel of God's generosity in my life. I cannot imagine myself without you. Every time I think of who I am, I think of you, and every time I think of you, I think of God, and I just thank Him that you're in my life." What's he doing? He's saying to the Philippians, you matter. You have value. More than you know. Don't ever despise or doubt your worth in life. I want to thank you for who you are. And he names some very practical things. Notice he says, I I, I say this because you hold me in your heart. And he's talking about their love. And they go, really? I guess that's true. We do love Paul. We've loved him well. It's not so much about the money, it's really about the love. And so they're going, oh yeah, we have love, we do have that. And that's why Paul goes, and I pray that your love will abound more and more. I think that this little bit of love that's in your life now portends a great volume of, of, of overabounding love that will flow more and more from your life as Jesus gets the job done in you that he promised to do when he began with you. So you have the power to do something big in someone's life with something small just by saying thank you. You help people appreciate what God has given them and who they are. That's why one of the really important thank you words that we use in English is appreciation. It means to see the value in something. And when you see the value in someone, you help them see the value in themselves. And i got to tell you, people need this so much. I had the privilege of living with John Perkins in one of the poorest, most violent uh, districts in Los Angeles years ago. One of the things that John Perkins taught me is that when you're trying to support those who are poor in your neighborhood, you don't offer them something, you ask for something. So he said, what you want to do is go across the street and ask your neighbor if you could borrow a hammer. You don't have one, and you know he has. One. What does that do? That shows your neighbor how valuable they are. You you put yourself in their debt. You'll have to say thank you for their generosity. And then they'll realize, hey, I've got something here. I have value in my life. i don't tell you, people need that today. All around you, there are people who need to know how important they are. I was just with two friends last week. And one of them was a teacher, and he said I had to sit with a student who couldn't see the value of his life. And the other person in the conversation was a grad student. He said, I was sitting with a friend who's also a grad student. She was thinking about ending her life. What do you say to someone like that? Well, what you say to them is, you are so valuable. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you've come to mean in my life. And what a gift that is to them. Somebody who's elderly has been forgotten by everybody else except for you. And when you come and say thank you for who you are, they know their worth. A parent who's just wiping up slobber and bottoms all day long. When you come into their life and say thank you for who you are or what you do, they know they have value. One of the important ways of encouraging change in organizations is called appreciative inquiry. You've probably heard of appreciative inquiry." Uh, its approach to change is very different from, quote, "problem-solving." With problem-solving, you ask, "What's wrong here?" With appreciative inquiry, you ask, "What's right here?" And you just encourage that, and you just feed it and you watch it grow. This is what Paul is doing for the Philippians. He says, I want you to see what's right here. It's all about your love. It's about God's love in you, and it's going to grow more and more until we come to that last day. I think Bob nailed it in his letter. He understands that small is big. He said, anything we can do to make people feel special is certainly worth the small effort it takes to do so. Isn't that right? Small effort. Well, let's look at a third implication of this uh, uh, triangle. We've looked at the patron's role, the broker's role. Let's look at it from the role of the client. Here, I think we see that begun is nearly done. Begun is nearly done. And the implication is that your potential is only limited by your reliance on God's promise. Paul says, I thank my God, He's the client. He is essentially saying, I know that I can trust him. I thank my God. He's made a promise to me, and I am confident, he says in verse 6. It means I'm fully persuaded. He has taken God's promise in, and he's putting his weight on it. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. This is not about your potential. It's about his potential. What he begins, he always completes. Sometimes you can't see it in the middle. They're not complete now, and I love this implication of the text. They're not complete. They're not pure, and they're not blameless. If he says, someday you'll be pure and blameless, doesn't that imply that today they're not pure and blameless? I think it's helpful to know that Christians today don't have to be pure and blameless to know that God is active in their lives. Christians today don't have to be complete. Churches can be as messy as the church in Philippi is, and yet they're completely forgiven and embraced by this God who is at work in their lives. He began the work, and he will complete the work. Where does Paul get this confidence? That's because he knows Jesus. Remember, he met Jesus face to face. This was the one who was dead on the first day. Think of Good Friday. It's coming soon. Jesus died on the cross, and on that day he was dead. But he was alive on the third day, risen from the dead. During that second day, we sometimes call it Good Saturday, the dark day. We get to trust him. That what he began on Friday, he will end on Saturday. And Paul uses this language when he says, and on the last day, which he calls now the day of Christ, he will complete what he began in your life in an equally dramatic fashion. So with you, with Jesus, you cannot tell the end of the story in the middle. Are you today in prison? Are you sick like Epaphroditus? Are you experiencing division in relationships or opponents? Trust his great promise. Look into the face of Jesus Christ, your Savior. Did you begin someday, you look back on a moment of faith where you said to Jesus, yes, I believe you, I trust you. A moment in your life where he seems so real to you. Paul would encourage you to hold on to that. Because that was real, and that was Jesus, and He is in your life. And if you can hold on to that, even though there's no evidence of Him today, you will be surprised to find that He has not let you go, and that He will complete it on the last day. I love the way Bob gets philosophical here, uh, in his letter. He says, and I didn't ask him to do this. He just adds that He's anything we can do. Uh, he says, he says, a warm smile can make the world a little better. I mean, that's like he's all of a sudden saying, I think I'm a part of the bigger story. I mean, my little thank you note, it's like it sent him home to his wife going, you know what? I got a really great smile, honey. I have a warm smile. And people on the Burke-Gilman Trail, they notice it. And I think I'm starting to change the world out there just as I smile at people, right? That's what he starts to believe just because I said, thank you. He's now got a mission to the world from the Burke-Gilman Trail, which I think is cool because Jesus has one too. And now he's a part of it. So our assignment this week is this, to do something small in the presence of God that in the end Jesus can make big. Do something small in the presence of God that in the end Jesus can make big. Remember, two or three, small is big, and begun is nearly done. Let's try to catch something in someone that reflects God in some way and offer specific words of appreciation I want to encourage you to do this week what I did, and that's try to appreciate someone you don't even know. It's a little risky to do that, but it's going to make you more aware of God's presence as you do that. And you'll be surprised by their reaction. You never know what God might do. To close with this story, one of you, a small group facilitator, sent me a link to a story core, NPR story core story, about um, two people who were able to say thank you to one another and the difference it made in each person's life. The first was a man who had um, loved his third-grade teacher. When he was in third grade, uh, his mother died. And Mrs. Doyle, his teacher, uh, bent over and kissed him on the top of his head, and he would never forget that. And Mrs. Doyle, in fact, would change his life. That little gesture meant so much to him, he became a teacher himself. Fifty years later, he couldn't stop th- thinking about Mrs. Doyle. He had no conversation with her since. He was able to research an address that he thought could be associated with her, and he wrote this letter. Dear Mrs. Doyle, if you are not the Cecil Doyle who taught English at Emerson School in Kearney, New Jersey, then I'm embarrassed, and you can disregard the sentiments that follow. Now, my name is John Cruitt, and I was in your third grade class during the 1958-59 school year. Two days before Christmas, my mother passed away. And you told me that you were there if I needed you. I hope life has been kind, as kind to you as you were to me. God bless you. Always. With great fondness. John. What John couldn't have known was that that letter arrived just after Mrs. Doyle's husband had died. And that she had just been diagnosed with Parkinson's. And I had just come home from the hospital, she told him, and read this beautiful letter. And I was just overwhelmed. Well, the funny thing, he says, when I finally wrote to you after uh, 54 years, I typed the letter. I was afraid of my penmanship. My penmanship wasn't (laughs) going to meet your standards. And they laughed. And then he said with a serious face, well, after all this time, Mrs. Doyle, all I can say to you is thank you. John, what can I say? I'm just glad that we made a difference in each other's life. May God give us the grace to do the same this week. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this great triangle in heaven is so beautiful, filled with joy and peace and love and appreciation. Thank you for embracing us just as we are, to send us out as your agents to make this world what it's meant to be. We ask that the fullness of your Holy Spirit will be poured on us as a people that we might have the privilege of participating in what you're doing in the world around us this week. As we say thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio, email audio at upc.org, or call two zero six five two four. 7301 extension 117.